Hi, I'm Mike Asinald and welcome to the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge's AC23 Plus Artist Legacy Series podcast. This is a series where we talk to artists who are doing amazing things in the areas of the arts, including performance, education, production, as well as arts advocacy. We record this series in the Virginia and John Nolan Black Box Studio, as well as in the Jan and Bill Grimes Recording Studio here at the Cary Siraj Community Arts Center. Be sure to visit artsbr.org for more information on all the great things we are doing here at the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge. Hope you enjoyed the podcast series, and thanks for tuning in. All right. Uh, I'd like to welcome our viewers and our listeners to the Arts Council Greater Baton Rouge's AC23 Plus podcast. And this is a series where we try to just document some of the great artistry that's happened uh, that's related to Baton Rouge in some way or another. And today is a real pleasure for me because I have uh, an illustrious cast of characters um, that me, for me personally, when I was a teenager, this was they were kind of my university, so to speak, learning how to play music. And so I'm going to introduce these guys to get started. So to my left is Mr. Ben Williams. And Ben... Um, would you basically describe yourself as a sound man first or a sound engineer? And we'll get into like how you how we all fit into all of this later. But so we got Ben Williams. We have Mr. Gino Marino, who is kind of the central character in all this this stuff. And Gino has um well he owns Gino's restaurant and I'll let him talk later as we get into it, how that evolved and how the music part came into play. Uh next to him is Larry Siebert. Wonderful pianist, composer, arranger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, next to him is the illustrious, legendary drummer from New Orleans, Johnny Vodakovich. And next to him is Dr. Bill Grimes, who is an amazing bassist, was a, uh, ran basically the jazz program at LSU, Louisiana State University, for many years. And that's where we begin. Uh, but the main focus of this podcast is just to kind of document and talk about a, a time, I would say in the mid-80s, and guys, correct me on any, any of the facts here, but uh, at Gino's Restaurant, um, that's where our music scene really started, I think really thanks to, of course, Gino, uh, Larry Seabrook, who was the pianist, and one person who's not here was a big part of that was uh, Mr. Big Luther Kent, and I think he played a big part in that. Um, so I'm going to get you guys started. The great thing about this pod podcast is I don't really have to say too much because these guys, they, they carry the history, and um, I'm going to kind of let them go for it. But, Gino, could you kind of get us started on maybe just the history of the restaurant? Well, it's, um, well the history of the restaurant, my mother started, <coughs> opened the restaurant in 1966 on Perkins Road. Then we moved to the current location in 1975, and we're still there after 58 years. So uh, th on the mu on the music end, uh, it was really a great story. And before going any further, Mike, I want to thank you, Ben, for you you did, Larry, for spearheading this thing, Johnny B, Bill. I mean, uh, what can I say in words? <laughs> you know, uh, but anyway, it really started out uh, uh, as we were going along in Gino's restaurant. I had this lounge that it was really a holding tank. Back then, you're talking about in the 80s, it was basically a holding tank for Friday and Saturday where people would sit there and have a drink and, and wait for a table. Like the days when you used to say, Jones, your table's ready for three. Fontenot, your table's ready for five. So I, it was really bothering me because I wasn't really util utilizing producing the space on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursdays. So I kept tossing some things around. What can I do with this space? I thought about, uh, I thought about uh, happy hour. Nah, it's too much part of the restaurant. Gina's is a restaurant. I thought about maybe a sports thing. Nah, because that's going to be the same time, same atmosphere. And I, Luther Kent, you know, our good friend, all of us know him and, uh, and love him. He came up with the idea. He said, "You know, you know, Gino. 
you're not a musician, but as many musician friends as you have, and as much as you love music, you know what you ought to do to this room? You ought to put a, a cool little baby grand piano in here and make this a cool, put up some jazz posters, and make this a little cool jazz, a little jazz room. Man, I thought about it and thought about it. I said, that's it. That's it. So we went, bought a baby grand piano at O'Neill's. We got the jazz posters all around. He, uh, Luther had a, a one of those Jackson Square artists, and and he, we got all these pictures up. No piano player. <laughs> so we sat there looking at the piano for about a month, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just sat there like. Uh, and I told Luther, I said, "You got to find me a piano player." I said, "I really don't want to approach this from a piano bar type of atmosphere." a sing-along type of atmosphere. I want to approach this from the musical end. He says, well, man, who's in your wands? I, I could find you a dozen of them. I said, yeah, but we're in Baton Rouge. So what we do? So he calls me one night. This, he, he, he calls me, and you know Luther. He says, hey, he says, they got this guy named Larry Seabeth. He's in the paper. He's playing at the White House Inn. Now, I don't know how long... Y'all familiar? White House Inn. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you a little, just a brief history. White House Inn used to have a music venue, used to call Indi the Independence Hall. And this past weekend, I just saw the Eagles and Steely Dan. I saw Steely Dan at, in at the Independence Hall in 1973. <laughs> okay. okay, so we go to the White House Inn, and Luther tells me, it's me and my brother, Lawrence, and Luther, we go see Larry. Larry's playing at the White House Inn. So we walk in there, and Larry's sitting there, and there was an upright piano. It was, the venue was on his last leg. They were just trying to revive it. Uh, so we got in there, and Larry sees Luther, and he recognized him, and as he usually does right in the middle of the song, hey, man, what's going on? <laughs> and they started talking, so we sit down, and we start Telling them what's, you know, this is my friends, Gina and Lawrence Marino. I have Gino's restaurant, and th this is what they're trying to do. We have a little, you know, got a baby grand piano, this and that. How long are you going to be in town? L Larry says, I'm in town. I'm looking for work. It's just one of those things that, Mike, you couldn't duplicate this if you, if you tried. I don't care how much money you have, how much money you put into it. It's just one of those things that just happened. <coughs> I don't know if it happened for a reason. It just happened. It just fell in my lap. And so Larry comes to work at the restaurant. Six days a week is playing. And I know, you know, musicians are artists. I know it's just a matter of time, you know. The, so, you know, where at one point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he comes and playing. And my whole goal is if... Because I didn't really know this thing was going to blossom to what it, it, it did. I had no idea. Nobody did. You know, he was just playing, and Luther would sit in and sing, and word of mouth got around. Next thing you know, so-and-so is coming in. Larry's, you know, bites him up with saxophone <coughs> or guitar or violin, whatever. Great musicians, and this thing blossomed, blossomed. This thing I know, my whole goal is if I, if I didn't have to go to my pocket to pay Larry, if I could get a few people to come in before dinner and after dinner, that's, you know, it would be enhance the restaurant. You know, it would class up the restaurant. <coughs> but this thing just went skyrocket, and and Johnny, you can re you you can relate to this coming from an Italian grandmother, and when this thing blew up. I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was packed, just word of mouth. And my mama came out, and it was her Italian accent. Look at you make a club. <laughs> 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 you make a club. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I and then when, you know after so when I showed her the what the register did, she oh. said, "Oh, that's a good." <laughs> So we got we got the green light. We got the okay from Mama. Okay, so Should we go have asked along. Should raise at that point. 
So at that point, I just let, you know, Larry just, I gave him full helm, whatever he wanted to do. The music was unbelievable. Uh, it, I can't tell you the, the people that played there. I mean, now, we look back now, looking at the pictures Larry showed me, uh, being recorded a couple of CDs and a lot of hours of recording over there. But uh, the only thing I regret about this whole thing is I wish I would have known who was who and had pictures. I had pictures of who played there because uh, it was probably the greatest musicians I've ever heard. In Baton Rouge, for sure. Well, so, Larry, were you, yeah. when they went to go see you, am I right in thinking that you had just moved back? Right, I had tried living in New York, which lasted about a year, and, and it was great, I gotta say, but, you know, my car was gonna be repossessed, and so I moved back, and fortunately, I don't even know how I got the job at the White House Inn, but the, I remember the, the guy who hired me was a very hip guy and friends with Doc Severinsen, and, you know, and I appreciated him giving me a job for to play for mostly no one, and then Gino came in and offered me the job there, and sure. And and I got to say, one of the one of the real key elements was to have had Luther there. And I grew up listening to Luther. You know, I used to go. I think it was the Belmont Inn, <laughs> that or there was a club off of Wooddale Boulevard that Luther used to play at. And I was in a uh, a few years younger, and I used to play at a club called the J Club. Uh, around that time too and you know and then Gino then I said oh and st like Steve Hutter who I believe played with Floyd Brown yeah. uh, would come and sit in on sax and then Wes Anderson came and sat in on sax and and one day I told Gino hey man, let me let me hire a bass player and that even grew it grew more and then I said Gino man let me hire a drummer and you know, and of course, there's some hesitation each time I want to raise the, the ante. But then I called Johnny, and then, of course, Herman Jackson was in town. And because I had already lived in New Orleans for, for many years, I knew all the jazz, not all, but a lot of the jazz musicians, and I would just ask them to come play with me. And that included, like, Red Tyler and Earl Turbenton and Eric Traub and Steve Mazikowski, Hector Gilliardo, Chris Severin, Bill Huntington, and the list just kept growing, and it became a real thing. But I got to, you know, when you were talking, it reminded me of something that I bet you don't even remember. But this is one of the funniest things that ever happened to me on playing there, because on the weekends, I would just play solo. And every week, this guy would come in wanting to sing, but it wasn't the kind of atmosphere that really warranted having a singer on the weekends because it was just people eating. But there was one night, weekend night, where there wasn't that many people in the room and this guy came in and he just really wanted to sing. So I said, yeah, come up. And he sang an Elvis song. And to put it bluntly, he was pretty terrible. And so Gino sent me a note, and it said, get him off. <laughs> and, and so he finished the song, and he said, can I do another one? So I handed him the note. All right, well, I got a story to add to that. Keeping it real. <laughs> I, the thing I mostly remember about that place was the music. I was, I hadn't been in Baton Rouge very long, maybe three or four years. You had just come from? From Rochester, New York, where I was in graduate school. And there were some heavy players up there. I'm, you know, it was d deep, deep talent. And it, I got to play with Willis down here, but that was about it. So you hired Jay Ecker, remember? Yes, yes. And, oh, and Jay. then Jay couldn't make it one night, so either you called me or he called me. And I went over there, not knowing what to expect. And this one was yeah, playing drums. And Tony DeGrotti was playing saxophone. I didn't know either one of them. Half of Astro Project, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and my, you know, we started playing. And I just started giggling inside. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is the best. But the level of musicianship 
that this guy, Larry, was always able to get. And the one story I can always tell, I'm not going to say who it was because I really don't remember, but somebody important came into the club, into the restaurant, I'm sorry. Sorry, Mama. Club. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, came into Geno's. And he was with an attractive young woman who wanted to sing. You remember this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, <laughs> Larry's thinking right now, which time? Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, which guy with a pretty young woman? Was, yeah, let me sing. Let me sing. She can sing. And yeah. there was probably a considerable happened. age difference, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't really remember. So she wanted to sing. Is the tune, You Don't Own Me? Is that the tune? No, no. Uh, you, you Don't, don't know, me. know Me. You Don't Know Me. You Don't yeah. Know Me. Uh-huh. Okay. You Don't Know the one. Yeah. So they figure out a key. Larry sets up this beautiful introduction, and she starts singing a perfect fourth away from where she should be. She's like a half an octave away almost. And within two beats, we just slid over and played the rest of the tune. And I said, man, this, this guy's got a set of ears. Right. You know, because there are a lot of piano players who would have just not known what to do. Either not known or, or not have made the adjustment. I cared. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, and then every time I would get over there and you and Tony and maybe Steve, and then I was playing with Red Tyler, I played with some of his, and there was a guitar player um, who the rest of the time he was playing on the streets of the French Quarter. Who am I thinking of? Um, the trumpet or saxophone? Sax, uh, no, guitar player. He would play on the streets with his case open, and he had a, he had a, uh, one leg was messed oh, up. Oh, Eugene Ross. Yes. Eugene Ross. Yeah, man. Ray Charles. Ray Charles. He played with Ray Charles. Right. I forgot about. He was that. the one that uh, got in a verbal altercation with Ray Charles and was thrown off and was <laughs> fired. You know. Yeah. But and do you, do you remember the night? Uh, Eliani Elias was in town? Yes, yeah, I certainly well, I, do. I was in a band. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. uh-huh. yeah. she was in town to do a concert in Lake Charles with their jazz band, but uh-huh. she couldn't get a flight into there, so she flew into Baton Rouge, and I was the handler for a day or so. Interesting. But she played, and... Was it you, man, huh? Yeah, I was on there. I was on that gig. And then a, another one, you remember the guitarist Gene Bertoncini? Yeah. He came in and played. It was just so much fun. And uh, you know, one thing I remember just as, as someone checking it out, as a, maybe a teenager, late teenager, was because you know, that room some, could sometimes get kind of loud and whatnot. But sometimes the music was so just intense and fabulous that it, that room got quiet. Well, let me tell you one one thing I, I got to say about those two two artists. And even to this day, and it's even louder today because the music has changed, but there's only in, what, 36 years, 38 years we've been doing the music, there's only been two times at Geno's in that room that you could hear a pin drop. And there was one, and Eliana Elias played, mm-hmm. and when Gene Bertaccini played, you could hear a pin drop. I've never seen Geno's like this. This is only two times. And when Eliana's played, Eliana, Larry would just, we would just, he just listened. I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, the talent, I, I just can't, I mean, it's, it's unmatched, it's unbelievable. But that's the only two times that I, in, in 36 years, that you could hear a pin drop in, in, uh, in Gino's, in right. Gino, the Gino's lounge, yeah. Well, the other uh, end of that spectrum, was that I remember was one night with me, Troy Davis, Don Vappi on bass, and um, uh, no, it wasn't Wendell, uh, Jamil Sharif on trumpet. And the crowd was very loud. So I told Don and Jamil, I said, look, we're gonna play Bourbon Street Parade, but every time you come to the top of the form, change keys, and don't try to follow anybody else. You know, so just stay in your own key. So we played the whole song, and it's kind of very Schoenbergish in a way. Um, and and as soon as we stopped, everybody applauded. You know, nobody. 
Yeah. Charles I said. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Right, right, right. Well, so that, well, that brings up a, a thought, um, because you did a lot of recording in that room. So what were the... That had to be challenging sometimes, huh, to... Uh, well, it's what I do. Um, yeah, it's uh, go in, set up, pretty much close mic everything, and uh, um, go park myself in the corner with a set of headphones and listen to the mix because it was all live to two track. There was no remix. E- everybody had to be on at 110%. Me, all y'all. And the amount of really good stuff we got out of there is impressive. It's a it's a great document, you know, and and Ben, you know, you perfected that mix over a, a few days, and then we just knew how to set it up. And what was going to change was lot. depends on whether whether you were in there or Troy was in there. You know, the, the trap set was going to change with the drummer, piano wasn't going to change, depending upon who was playing bass. So th- there's little tweaks, but there's no real big. Change. But had the digital domain come in by then? Yeah. And actually, this is, this is a digital recording. One of the very early but ones. Very early. In with digital. a Sony F1, mm-hmm. uh, which we borrowed from, who has Centaur Records? Uh, Victor Saxe. Victor yeah. Saxe. I borrowed the mixer from one person, borrowed the recorder from Victor, borrowed a pair of microphones from Curtis at the Centriplex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hold on. I knew what I wanted to use, but no one... No one person owned it, so I had to reach out. And you know, this is this conversation is really sparking some memories that have, you know. But I remember I was living in New Orleans at the time, and I, had, and I was on my way to play at your restaurant, and I was speeding. I'm not. I confess, I was speeding, and a state trooper pulls me over, and I said, he says, uh, you know, you're speeding. I said, yeah, you know, I'm I'm playing at Geno's tonight, and I'm I'm running late. He says, you better get out of here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor mama's gonna be mad. <laughs> so, yeah, there's. It's amazing what food can do. Yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and of course, that was a big part of it too. I oh, mean, oh, yeah. The, yeah. The food, oh yeah, yeah, you know, uh-huh. big part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like. <laughs> Yeah, that was a deciding factor. You want to play Gino? You want to play Gino? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. about the food, you know. Oh, who's playing? <laughs> <laughs> I already took the gig, yeah. By the way, who's playing? Because there's the Arancini. Oh, and then who's playing? <laughs> and, and the Lawrence salad. and The, the Lawrence spaghetti. bread. Yeah, the salad uh-huh, and the uh-huh. spaghetti needles, of course. Then the Arancini. And the Gino's bread. and Yeah. yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and the white swan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like that Start drink, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then the. Bruce man, I used to like that. And then you, the, the, what, you get a cappuccino? Oh, yeah. Before you start the second set, uh-huh. the, I think they called it Sicilian Speed. <laughs> right? So, there you go, Johnny. So, but let's talk about you and somebody else I'm crazy about is my son, Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan was in the club when he was 10 years old, sitting at the bar, drinking an orange juice, listening to this group. And you were there as a high school student. Absolutely. You know, and that's that's honestly one of the big reasons why I wanted to do this today, not only to just document that time and, you know, how special it was, but, you know, unlike New Orleans, um, Baton Rouge didn't have quite the, it does, didn't have nearly the resources for an up-and-coming musician. They just didn't. And not, not to mention just the vibe that you get in New Orleans. Um, so I always felt like being able to go in that, that environment around just A-list players. Um, and Gino, we, we kind of joke about this story, but I would go then in there as a 16, 17-year-old in high school, and you know, I would sit right next to the piano, especially also in addition to the nights that the band was playing, just to go listen to Larry play solo piano. And lots of, shoot, a lot of times I'd bring my homework and be drinking a Coke and just watching Larry play. And, and that was my university, really. And then, of course, we might have private lessons here and there. and. Uh, but I'm not the only one. I mean, there were so many young musicians that were hanging out. We were throwing out some names a little early, like John Abair, who now plays with Fred Hurst up in New York, with, plays with a lot of people, just a monster bass player. But wow. um, he would be in there, 
And I, I, did he ever play the gig? I'm not sure. I don't think so. But hey, Bell, he didn't play a gig there? I don't think so. You sure? We didn't play together? I, I man, don't he's remember flying, that. man. That, that guy's got altitude, oh, man. Geez. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. He's off the charts. Oh. You heard him play lately? Uh, oh, we stay in touch. Yeah. Uh-huh. Man. Yeah. God. Well, well, Brian Blade. I used to I remember hearing Brian from, yeah. from his house and driving to... Well, then you had the whole, you know, the students from LSU, Southern, and then with Southern, I'm thinking about people like, well, you mentioned Troy Davis, Wes. but like Wes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dowell Davis Dowell. on drums. Ray Mouton. Ray Mouton. Uh-huh. Uh, Who played with us occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, but but uh, did, didn't Rick Margitza play a couple yes, of those yeah, gigs? Rick Margitza was there, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was thinking Tony DeGrotti, Rick Margitza. Yeah. Earl Turbenton. Yeah, Earl. It, doesn't, it doesn't get any better. Or right. Stranger. Oh, yeah. I'll never Johnny forget. Adams. Johnny Adams. Oh, Johnny Adams. Wow. Yeah, now, did Jermaine ever do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jermaine, Jermaine and yeah. Uh, yeah. Joanne Crosby, formerly known as Lady BJ, she, she actually sang at Geno's after she became kind of famous doing Broadway. Uh-huh. Smokey Joe's Cafe and Dreamgirls she yeah. was in. Didn't we do a couple of nights with a singer named Little Queenie? Oh, Queenie. I worked, yeah. Johnny and I worked yeah. with her for a long yeah. time. She, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> she, had, she had rewritten the lyrics to, do you know what it means to Miss New Orleans? She rewritten to, do you know what it means to live in New Orleans? Oh, yeah. Uh, it can, was dark. <laughs> we can credit uh, Phil Degree for those lyrics. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, uh-huh. that's Degree's input for sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's dark. And then there was Carrie Loring. Oh yeah, I remember you know, Carrie. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Philip. He would sing there quite oh, a bit. Philip, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great uh, camaraderie. Leah Chase. Yeah, Leah Chase. For sure. Yep. Uh huh. Right. Um, and some of those people got it quiet. Some of those people quieted down. Oh yeah. They, mm-hmm. they, you know, especially them them girl singers. You know, they they get it quiet down occasionally. And then Jermaine there was, did. Yeah. Yeah. Jermaine told, hey. Shh. Well, mm-hmm. Jermaine will just oh, tell yeah, him. What I'm saying. <laughs> right. And Shh. people. Oh, Mary Surpass. People. Yes. Yes. Right. People. It just, it just I know. I know. Mary Surpass. I don't know what happened to her. She's Jermaine. Yeah. Michael Skinkus. He came yeah. and played. Uh, Hector Gallardo. Mm-hmm. And one one night I couldn't make it, so I ha- sent in David and Rosalind. Remember David and Rosalind? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the guy yeah. who looks like uh, Uncle Sam, uh-huh. and uh, and his uh, wife Gina couldn't get over them because <laughs> they they were quite different, you know, from what from from the usual. But I, I thought they were kind of cool. I love you. I've been to their house, bro. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh-huh. Whoa. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wait, didn't we have Doreen Ketchens in there once? Clarinet player? Did she play there? She just, I think she can't, I think I hired her to play oh, there once. Uh-huh. Because I just played with her, your charts. Oh, like um, symphonic with the stuff? LPO. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. She's a sweetheart, man. Oh, she's great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's come a long way. Um, yeah. What a great story. Yeah, and it, it's really a... Uh, at least in Baton Rouge, it may never happen again. It will never happen. No, because music has changed. You know, music has changed. Well, yeah, certainly just a live music scene in general. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, but again, it just had so much to do with that place, that food, that vibe. You know, I can't think of... You know, like there If you was were a, to try to do it again somewhere, where would you do it? You know? There was just an audience that was part... Well, it, it changed over the course of time, but there was a, uh, a, a group that were really into the music. They were there for the music. And then there were the people there w- that were there to be seen, but were respectful enough to not, you know, um, make, mm-hmm. it, make it easy for mm-hmm. everybody to mm-hmm. enjoy the music. Uh, looking back over it in perspective so many years, I mean, I, I, I see that uh, <coughs> socially, musically, and, and, and something else, uh, you know, I, it, it was really something to study and, and learn a lot from uh, not only the, the way you handled, you know, okay, we're going to play this music, but we're not going to compromise and play down to the people. You know, you had a way of, you know, 
playing good music, you know, and and you knew that they had people out there, some percentage of the people that were going to be so cool and there for it, and either either the people that just were there by accident and maybe never heard music like that before in their life, they were exposed to it, and their reaction was going to be, you know, uh, these people here would influence these people to say, well, what, you know, what they're calling And so, I mean, it, it was sort of, it was, for me, it was a, a very, I was learning on a social level the way, the effects of music and how Larry handled shifting gears with relating to the people, and so I mean, I have a feeling we were definitely lifting these people that were there by accident, you know, and who, who could have easily been just been babbling, you know, which sometimes, you know, the, uh, the, the odds didn't work, and these babblings, we had to play against the babbling, you know, I would call the din of the room, you know. Uh, but, but sometimes these uplifting people who were really there soaking up the music, that, that uh, vibration and the physics of that, uh, you know, uh, in the room would lift these people into drawing them into the music. So, and that, and that, and, and that, and, and that way, man, you were truly a doctor, you know, truly a healer and truly a lifter, you know, uh, you know, you know, maybe what, what he did it, which I'm sure you did it, but you got feeling because you wanted to keep the gig. So, you, you know, you, but, but in doing that, uh, you know, the first time you played the Perry Mason theme, I said, oh, fucking Larry, man. He's going you know, he's gonna play down to the people. But man, after, after, you know, the introduction and the first eight measures, what he was playing was so thick and deep, man, I was having, a, I was having an experience. Right. I, I was being enlightened the way he played the theme to Perry Mason that every time I played with him, I didn't care who we were playing for or with. I said, man, I played it. Play that fucking tune. Because <laughs> he he voiced it and his tempo was like, set. It was so like, man, deep, 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 nasty pocket falling out the back. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, man. And I and I think you know it, it could have been very light and brought along very very thin and shallow and brought along the audience to a very oh yes that's good music level. Right. But Larry challenged the audience. Right. He challenged the audience, and for the most part, he won. You know, I, so that now I look at it in perspective. At the time, I was a crazy kid, man, just having fun, right. waiting for the break to get loaded on, <laughs> waiting for the next day to eat like crazy. Right, you right. know. And, you know, wine was flowing, you know. Right. You know, I mean, so, but, but, but at the same time, man, I was really into playing, playing my butt off. Mm -hmm. And I was really learning. Yeah. You know, really learning. Yeah. You know. Wait, what, and, one and, thing and, that. You know, this cat, he had radar, bro. I knew that he had radar, and it just got better and better and better. Because yes, every time we played Perry Mason, it got deeper and deeper <laughs> and darker and darker. Well, yeah, but then, then came I Love Lucy. Oh, my God. Uh -huh. Jesus. That, uh, yeah, I had to sit I up straight in the chair for that. <laughs> Perry Mason, but I lean up against that back wall. I was like, give me another wine, bro. <laughs> but the Lucy thing, man, I said, uh-oh, uh-oh, that's going to make a mess of this. Well, <laughs> I remember listening to y'all one time. Y'all were playing. I scared it out. I'm pretty sure Eric Traub was the saxophone player. Yeah. And y'all were doing maybe St. Tom. It was St. Thomas. And you went up a half step every time. Oh. And uh, it was just like one of those religious, mind-blowing experiences. Because Eric, I mean, it just got better and better. It was killing to begin with. Mm -hmm. But every chorus, you know, as the keys go up, the keys get harder. And he just keeps getting better and better. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, my God. You know. But, the, you know, look at it from a Baton Rouge perspective. Like in New Orleans, you know, tons of clubs, right? Especially back then. Um, so that you expect that to some degree, but like you know, well people coming into Geno's, you're typically not you know, just bad rich people. That had to be like a total shocker, you know. I mean, I went in as a musician, like, and I wanted to learn, but just your average person coming in, the level of musicianship, and you know, what a blessing to them. They may not yeah. have even known. Well, they probably didn't. But to Johnny's point, it's to like for, you know. And, and for, for me, it's not, I, 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 I hope it's a blessing to them. I think it is. But for me, it's really 
uh, an enlightening blessing. I right. mean, it, it enlightened me later. You know, at the time I experienced it all. Luckily, I remembered it and felt it all because I could feel it. I remember feeling it all, the oddity of going to Baton Rouge and saying, whoa, this audience is different mine, but Larry's doing this, and wow, oh, you know, and different musicians and, and everybody, you know. And, and so I knew I was feeling and learning, but later in my life did I realize how much I was learning about relating to people the audience, how important the audience is a part of the music, how much a big percentage they are, you mm -hmm. know? And I was going through that and learning that the whole time at Gina's, before my daughter was born, after she was born, and every time these events happened in my life, the music was moving more, and I was mm -hmm. learning more and seeing more. Then I got straight, and I got clean, and learned a whole different movie, you know, and then, then Katrina came along, and I, I love my life. Every, every, but it was all solid Making me, making me uh, a more rounded person, especially when it came to playing music and, and understanding what you give. And you know, you don't play down to people. You don't need to. You can uplift them. Right. And, 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 he, and he showed me some good blueprints and diagrams and things to, you know, put your radar out to learn how. Read the room. Yeah, right. exactly. The good old cliche, read, just read the room. The good old cliche, just do your job. Right, you know, uh -huh. right. Well, you know, play, and that's my job. You know, and Gino and I had many discussions that had to do with the audience. I'm you know, curious about that. Like, what would y'all talk wasn't about? Working. You know, because what, one thing that I, I f I've always felt, especially in in this kind of uh, environment, this like this cross section of a of American culture that was there was that you started, it was a, an experiment in human psychology. Mm. You know, you had the good guys, you had the bad guys, you had the bad guys that wanted to be good guys. You had the, the good guys who, you know, it, it, yeah, you know, and all the people in between, the people who were there to have fun, the people there who were looking for something. Um, you know, it was, a, it was, it was very interesting. You know, because very oftentimes things are not what they appear. Sure. You know, and so you you really start understanding how to read the truth that's behind the veneer of people's appearance, their initial. You know, you start feeling a sense of of a person's essence without having to look f too too far you just look right. deep right. yeah I think Larry's the one I heard say this the first time you were talking to an audience and you said something to the effect of you you're probably not gonna know this tune but you should <laughs> and that's why we're gonna play it you're, it's a great piece of music you yeah. probably don't know it yeah and here's a little background but you should know it. Here's an opportunity. Yeah, here's a great opportunity. Well, yeah, I, I said that in an, in an interview recently. Music is an opportunity. It's right. an opportunity for the people playing it, and it's an opportunity for the people listening, and the best of both worlds is that they commune together and create something that's bigger than, this, than the parts. Right. Until yeah. the record producers get involved. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so did, at any point, Gino, were you like talking to Larry and say, you know, this, the, well, the music's getting way too out, or you know? No, I'm gonna I'm tell you after, you know, what I heard about him, and once I started hearing the music and his playing, and and like he said, you know, he, it came one time he goes, hey man, uh, can I hire a bass player so I can stretch out? Well, I didn't know what stretch out means, you know, it's from mm -hmm. a mu musical standpoint. I say, I couldn't tell him no. The place is packed. Yeah, Larry, you can get a bass player. Well, here comes, doom, doom, doom. Here comes Bill. You know, and a month ago, two weeks ago, hey, man, uh, you think I can hire a drummer? I went, uh-oh. <laughs> 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 I'm just getting the music business on the, yeah. in the club business. <laughs> so I said, okay, Larry, you can hire a drummer. I said, but Gino's is... The restaurant, it'll always be a restaurant. 
and I don't want to be in the music business, and I don't want to be in the club business, but you can hire a drummer. Well, here comes Johnny V. So he brings the best drummer. <laughs> I, got, I got Bill Grimes on bass, Johnny V on drums, and Larry on piano, right. and Luther sitting in whenever. I mean, look at it. Right. How much better can it get? Mm. And when I, and, you know, after I saw Larry do his, like Johnny said, he just took control. He educated, he really educated Baton Rouge to jazz. Yeah. You know, he really so. did. I mean, so I just gave him the green light. Whatever, you, hey, Larry, whatever you want to do, whoever you want to bring in, whatever. Everybody brought in was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, one guy, I remember one particular night, and he's playing, some guy walks in and, and, and you know, I mean, y'all are musicians, I'm not. You know, the old saying, good musicians attract other good musicians, sure. you know. So this guy walks in, he has a saxophone, uh, and uh, he gets up there, I said, man, Larry, who's this guy? He goes, oh, it's a friend of mine from New York, he plays with Woody Herman. Well, that's good enough for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I mean, like, everybody that got up there was great. Right. Right. To say the least. Mm -hmm. It was just, uh, so I just gave him the green light. Larry, you do, you're the musical director. You, you, uh, you, <laughs> you got it all. You do whatever you want to do. And, and look at it, and here we are doing this podcast. Well, now look back, and looking back on it, and then to bring Ben back in. So, like, how many recordings did y'all put out from that time? We've only, we've only burned two. We've got the, Compilation, which is a little bit of everybody, and then a red Tyler. Right. Now, still got a lot more to do if I get off my butt and do something <laughs> about it. But eating lasagna you get to work. I missed it. I need pasta plate, man. I'll get you one. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna barter with pasta. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there's there's no way to make money releasing music these well, days. Sure, so, sure. you know, that's well, that's a factor. Away. Yeah. You know, and. Yeah. Um, figure out a way to do that. But it's it's so important to get this out, and but everything takes time and money, and you know, so we, it'll it'll come out as as it should, I guess, you know, because we definitely also have run into dealing with uh, the estates of artists who have passed away, which sure. is not a, a a fun thing to do. Um, you know, because there's people out there that think there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and there's not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there's not even a rainbow. Especially in art, <laughs> art music. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, not every gig we played, every gig we played at Geno's was special for me. Oh, yeah. But I remember one, it was in New Orleans, it was, we were playing in a, Johnny was on the gig, and you, and maybe there was a saxophone player, but we were playing out in an atrium of some place. And there's always a hipster who has something fun. You know, uh, uh, Lord Buckley called them hipsters, flipsters, and finger-popping daddies. <laughs> and he walks up to Johnny and says, or walks up to me and says, hey, uh, can, can you guys play something in 5-4? Johnny says, why, you gonna dance? <laughs> <laughs> True story, you don't remember it, do you? I was probably drinking. <laughs> you gonna I've heard, dance? <laughs> I've heard something similar when a guy comes in. I, I think didn't this dance with him. <laughs> <laughs> something similar, this isn't in New York. I think uh, this is a Don Grolnick story, but a guy comes in and says, could you play Come Rain or Come Shine? Either one. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing any better than an inside joke to a musician because so often we are, we are looked at by the rest of society as we're not really sure what to think of you. So when we get these inside jokes, it's, it's, a, it's a heartwarming, uh, it's like any profession. I guess dentists have inside jokes. I don't know. Right. Right. Or engineers. Mm -hmm. They're just not funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But just to show you the, the, uh, the talent level, I remember one particular night, this gentleman came in and he just, uh, he was 
came into Gino's to have a business meeting, and he came in the lounge, and Larry was playing. I forgot who was on the gig, probably all three, and, and Lady BJ was playing. So he, he comes in there, and the place is full, and everybody's just listening, and, and, and he looks, and I'm standing next to him. He goes, is that Lady BJ? I said, uh-huh. He goes, you're kidding me. I said, yeah. He goes, he said, I paid $75 last week to go see her in San Francisco. Nah. $75 cover charge. Right. How right. about that? I know. Well. So you should have been charging a cover charge, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> too late. <laughs> well, we don't play money for the, for the money. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, if if I have to play what they want me to play, I have to get paid a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's an inverse uh, yeah. equation. <laughs> inverse relation. Yeah, uh huh. Right. The, the the better the music, the lower the the, the pay. Yeah. Well, uh -huh. okay. It's like uh, was it Groucho Marx and Chico? Groucho asked Chico, "How much for your band to play?" says, oh, it's going to cost you a lot. Trotter says, how much to get you not to play? And Chico says, you couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to play something? Could we do that? I was going to ask you guys to kind of maybe play us out um, on a yeah. tune, but... Um are we good, Johnny? I don't know if we well said. Yeah, it, I'm huh? good. I can play that. I mean, Johnny could. I mean, I have to play this table, and it'd be great. <laughs> I have to run her, run her to the trunk, get sticks. Uh, yeah, let's do that, man. That'd yeah. be awesome. Well, yeah. it's going to take him a minute. Why don't we One get? Uh, um, uh, I just grab my whole symbol back. Okay, is it in the trunk? Yes. Okay. Well, look. Um, before we kind of jump to that, I just want to kind of wrap this up with you guys. Um, number one, thank you. For, for agreeing to do this. This is kind of a wish list on, 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 on the top of my wish list since we started this whole podcast thing. And uh, it's just, uh, obviously that time was very special to me and so many other musicians kind of my age. Oh. But uh, everyone who was involved, I think, was very special. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a real pleasure to have everybody just kind of reminisce about that and, uh -huh. you know, and, and again, document it. You know, for yeah. You know. Thanks to Gino, yeah, and it, it's really all yeah. due to Gino well, Luther. He, Larry. he provided the, okay, he provided let's stop the platform. He took the chance. And Mama didn't shut it down. Yeah, Mama's blessing. And you know, when I first walked in, door, I said, "This guy's crazy. He's man. He's gonna ruin his business putting music in here." Uh -huh. You know, but no. Man, we had a like really good run. He's, I know it, I, it run. I, and I didn't think it was all gonna work, man. And I right. didn't think it. I said, man, he's a businessman. He don't want to hear this crazy ass music, right? You know, and it's, it's. But man, he was like, free reign. Here's the here's the cold card. Go ahead. And I said, wow. Yeah. It's like the old joke, except he don't fit the pattern. You know, <laughs> the old joke was, uh, 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 how do you get how, uh, how do you get a million dollars? Playing jazz. Oh, no. Borrow, borrow two million and open a jazz club. <laughs> you know, but in his case, man, he just said, "Whoa, I'm taking a chance," and it turned out to be artistically. And I think I don't know how much he lost, I, you know, but the but the restaurant made, you know, was food was too phenomenal to lose anything. But in in the music, you know, what it did was lift up and yeah. it just created a whole I think it changed a little bit of part 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 of part of the, the ears in, in Baton Rouge. Absolutely. You know, in the neighborhood. Yeah. It was that, I think the vibes were that thick. Yeah. You know, they were real physics and mathematics, bro. Y'all yeah. changed the you culture provided, of Y'all introduced jazz to Baton Rouge. I'm telling y'all. Uh, I mean I, and the people that came there, like Lyra said, most of them is week in, week out, or every night they came there, whatever day or whatever night, uh, every night they came, they came to listen to these musicians. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To see the, the art. Right. It was incredible. How, I mean, the people, how the people listen, and how they would, I mean, just applause after, after every song. It was just so refreshing to see that in Baton Rouge. Yo, and, and Larry, I mean, you, you know, you know, I gave you the green light after. Either you bring who you want to bring, you, you know, it don't matter. And it's all been the plus yes. plus, you know. Yeah. And thank you again, Johnny. 
Bill, Ben, Paul, and Mike for bringing this together. This oh, is absolutely, a, man. This my is pleasure. A, tears in my heart. Happy yeah. man. All right, guys. Well, God bless. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. God bless. Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge would like to acknowledge our generous sponsors, the Shell Corporation, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Louisiana Office of Cultural Development, and the City of Baton Rouge.